0: Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of current and classic horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews and discussions may include spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. Grover's Bend. It's just a speck on the map of the universe. Transform. They get a different class of tourist here. Company's coming. Noisier. Pushier. They're turning this peaceful little town. Those hungry hairballs from outer space are on a roll. Let's just get help. Oh, who are we gonna call? (laughs) Critterbusters? These guys are great. And they'll eat anything. We're gonna end up tomorrow's leftovers. There must be hundreds of those. Critters 2 The Main Course. You got nothing to lose but your lives. The concept of the sequel has always been a daunting task. How do you expand on the original while not deviating too far from the expectations it's set, while also ensuring to deliver a bigger follow-up? When talking horror sequels, bigger often entails larger set pieces, more intricate practical work and of course, more complex kills. In this regard, Critters 2 The Main Course achieves this in spades but does its comedic tonal shift help or hurt the identity of the series? Let's find out in part two of my Critters series review, in which I take a look at the second entry in the series. Released in 1988, two years after the original Critters, writer and director Mick Garris would be given the reins of the series in what is arguably the bigger film. With twice the budget, four times the production size, and retaining the practical wizardry of the Chioto brothers, along with several key actors from the original film, Critters 2 has a lot of things working in its favor. Even with the reality that this was very much a studio driven sequel, it feels totally uncompromising, fully pushing its PG 13 rating to the absolute limit, as well as significantly amplifying the scale of scares and the critter effects. Critters 2, the main course, picks up two years after the events of Critters, with the not so little anymore Brad Brown, once again played by Scott Grimes, returning to Grover's Bend. The town has seemingly put the Krites' attack two years prior behind them, so naturally, it's time for those critter eggs from the first film to begin to hatch. Subsequently, the bounty hunters Ugg and Lee from the first film are called back to Earth to help eradicate the Krite threat once and for all. Though as the Krites begin to hatch and ravage the town of Grover's Bend once again, Brad teams up with local news reporter Megan, played by Leanne Curtis, and the bounty hunters to attempt to once again save the day. With the sequel, there's often a survivor's guild of sorts, as a number of cast members from the original often fail to return. But this is only a half truth for Critters 2. While Dee Wallace and Emmett Walsh didn't return, Terrence Mann as the rock star impersonating bounty hunter Ugg, Don Keith Opper as the rehabilitated town drunkard turned bounty hunter Charlie, Lynn Shea as the animated Sal, and of course Scott Grimes as the now teenage Brad all returned from the original film. But more importantly than just returning is Garris and co-writer David Towie exploring and evolving their characters from the first film. These aren't just brief cameos cashing in on fans' love of the original film, rather full-fledged inclusions and explorations into who these characters are. As Brad is now a teenager, he attempts to shed the town's perception of him as the boy who cried Critter, and in doing so, he facilitates a more heroic role in the film, often leading the charge and being an essential part to saving the day. Meanwhile, Charlie's character grows out of his town drunk persona into a hero in his own right, having joined the intergalactic ranks of the bounty hunters and finding a new purpose in life. Often the town drunkard persona is purely a comical role, so to see this genuinely good guy remove the bottle's hook from his mouth and finding his purpose is a sweet, heartfelt addition to the film. And then there's Lin Shay, who mostly serves as comedic relief, but is far more lively and animated that she leaves a distinct mark on the film. The woman really does give every scene her all, and I find that her gags are less about laughing at her than her pitch-perfect reactions to the monster insanity that's occurring in her town. And now for a brief intermission. If you've been enjoying this episode of Daily Horror Habit, please take a moment to subscribe to the show on your preferred streaming platform, or leave us a review on iTunes. And thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the remainder of today's horrifying episode. And finally, there's retired Sheriff Harve, who this time is played by a resentful but stoic Barry Corbin. Corbin doesn't miss a beat in picking up where Emmett Walsh left off and bringing the begrudging redneck sheriff to life. His arc from reluctant outcast to a savior of the bend is is both entertaining but also provides a more multi-dimensional portrayal of a town sheriff than you'd expect from a returning character being portrayed by a new talent. This healthy handful of returning characters gives Critters 2 a reunion aura to it that allows the film to feel organically connected to the original in a way that can elude some sequels. But to no one's surprise, this reunion is interrupted by the returning of the troublesome crates in new and improved numbers. This is where the sequel's bigger and better nature truly shines. When you're talking about a monster movie, creature feature or otherwise, the sequel has to be a reintroduction, but also an evolution on said monsters. This can take many forms, such as literally bigger versions of the creature, more of them, or more technical features that bring them to life. And thankfully Critters 2 chooses all three options. Once again at the helm of the practical puppetry were the Chiodo brothers, who were coming fresh off their sci-fi horror film Killer Clowns from Outer Space. The brothers didn't only deliver the same stellar attention to detail in ensuring the Krites remain their own unique intergalactic creation, but expand on their abilities and bestiology. Early on in Critters 2, once the mysterious critter eggs hatch, a whole mess of baby krites are on the loose. But don't dismiss these miniature furballs, as they're just as deadly as their adult counterparts. We see a gang of them devour a man's dog, before nibbling on the stool he takes refuge on, and then they eviscerate an entire chunk of his foot, and eventually the rest of his juicy insides. The minuscule and swarming nature of the baby krites really captures the alien bounty hunters describing them as a people plague, given their ferocity from birth. I'm also in favor of films that explore the entire line of a creature's bestiology, from birth to maturity, so this intro to Baby Kreitz was an excellent way to kickstart the film. It also gives us one of the better gags of the film, as the town's current sheriff is reluctantly made a part of the Easter celebration. As he dons the hallowed rabbit suit, he notices the hatched critter eggs, and not unlike Kane in Alien, sticks his fucking face right into it, which of course riles up the Baby Kreitz. The Critters jump inside his suit and begin eating him alive, but not before he dives through a church window, interrupting the Easter service with his bloody lifeless corpse. The suddenness of his entrance and his attempting to beat the Critters out of his suit is designed with laughs in mind, and it ultimately is the deciding point for whether or not fans of the original will buy into the sequel's new tone. Mick Garris' angle with Critters to the main course is clearly comedic, leaning into laughs far more than the original. And while the horror moments remain, the emphasis is clearly increased on eliciting laughs rather than scares. There's another recurring gag where the bounty hunter Lee is frequently unsatisfied with the body he morphs into, at one point seeing a playboy model in a magazine, who's played by Roxanne Kernahan, and transforms into her, magazine centerpiece staple and all. Later on in the film, he even sees a cardboard cutout advertisement for A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, and begins to morph into none other than old Freddy Krueger himself. Normally, I wouldn't be in favor of this heavy shift to comedy, but this is where the sequel avoids the common horror-comedy pitfall. The horror moments are executed on in as pristine a fashion as the original, if not better, and it all comes back to those lovable, killer furballs, the Kreitz. If there were one major complaint you could have about the original film, it'd be that we only ever saw a handful of them on screen at a time. In Critters 2, we see almost twice the amount at any given moment. This introduces the concept of the Krite Caravan, a literal roving horde of critters that roll along with one another, closing in on the remaining survivors. While the scale of the original film felt very small, the sequel very much has the feel of a large-scale western, as the town folk are on their last legs, having made the town church their stronghold against the incoming horde. The larger human cast matches the larger critter cast, and the critter caravan is the best example of this. While it begins as individual critters traveling alongside one another, the critters eventually morph together to create a towering 10-foot super critter ball. This effect was achieved by filling up a 10-foot tall inflatable ball and mounting around 300 critter faces with mouths and light-up eyes onto it. When it was time to simulate it rolling, they hooked it up to an ATV for long-distance shots capturing the scale of the critter ball, and then, for close-up shots that wanted to capture all of the critter's toothy details, they hooked it up to a truck that had it run alongside another vehicle for close-up shots. It's fantastic to see the Chiodo brothers capture a new facet of the Critters that is literally bigger than anything they had done in the previous film, while never losing the Krites' personality in the process. And that sense of personality is important, especially when they portrayed the normal-sized crites, but still evolving on their design and implementation in new and exciting ways. The scene that truly shows just how far the puppetry mastery of the Chiotos had come in the two years in between the original film and its sequel is the fast food joint destruction. The bounty hunters enter the fast food restaurant which has been infested by, you guessed it, hungry, hungry critters. We see around 10 or more critters all engaged in various forms of destruction, whether it be squirting condiments on the walls, ravaging piles of shredded lettuce, or grilling leftover scraps of food from people they have surely eaten moments before the bounty hunters arrived. It could be easy to overlook this scene, but the reality of what it takes to bring that scene to life is quite frankly astounding. Ten krites means ten puppeteers working in tandem with one another, as they all have to turn and look at the bounty hunters once they notice them. It's an impressive feat given how similar it is to the bedroom scene from the original film. In the original, there's a scene where a handful of critters destroy Brad's room. This is a scanning shot that captures each critter engaging in their own destructive behavior. While not a simple scene to pull off, their actions aren't unfolding in unison, which they are in the fast food scene from Critters 2. This fast food scene is also a beautiful marriage of the technical mastery of the Chiotos and Mick Garris' humor sensibilities, as we see a Krake get his hair blown off by a bounty hunter's gun, to which he looks at his reflection and comments bitching, or a Critter being knocked into a deep fryer as it screams in cutesy agony. My only real complaint regarding the Krites is the film's lack of utilizing their subtitles like they did in the original. This was more than likely due to a lack of budget to bring back the voice actor from the original film, which actually resulted in Gareth stepping up for the voice duties, but this lack of dialogue between the Krites steps on their personality a bit. But despite this missed opportunity, there's plenty of bloody moments that allow the Critters to further distinguish themselves from any and all Gremlins comparisons. And it's also worth noting that the film received a pg-13 rating with no issues from the mpaa ratings board which is shocking given they had to tone down the content in the original but the second time around there is noticeably more blood and the inclusion of nudity but hey that was the 80s they were a weird time i guess despite the sequel checking a lot of horror boxes in terms of delivering bigger effects critter chaos and deeper character development The film was apparently a bomb according to Mick Garris, which is a shame because while I prefer the original film's darker, horror-centric nature, the sequel is an entertaining as hell horror comedy that holds up better than a lot of quickly developed 80s sequels do. I'm interested to see if 1991's Critters 3 is able to sustain the same level of Critter puppetry and character development that the second one did. Also, Critters 3 is notable for being Leonardo DiCaprio's debut feature film at the age of only 16. So, we'll find out next week if the krites lose their bite the third time around. But that'll do it for another episode of Daily Horror Habit, and I'll see you guys tomorrow for another Daily Horror Movie Review. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service, and follow the show on Instagram at Daily Horror Habit and on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod for episode updates. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.